Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode five of season four of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm your host, Mitch Fosberg. Joined with me, as always, you guessed it, Mr. Christian Boer. Christian, how are we doing today? Good, man. The weather's beautiful out. Uh, it's pretty cold, but I can't complain about that anytime the sun's shining. So, in my opinion, being cold is a state of mind, and I'm not allowing myself to be cold today. You know, it's freezing here, but my mom lives in Tennessee, and my stepdad and the dog, and they're, they, she was next to me and said it got so much ice and so much snow with a weird winter storm. It's, I think, the first time in my lifetime you've seen the entire state of Texas in a winter storm warning. Yeah, that's craziness. I know uh, a couple weeks ago, chatting with former Central Michigan quarterback Ty Brock, he sent me a picture of... Texas just a, a torrential snowstorm, and I guess it <laughs> hasn't gotten any better. So craziness, man. So we are in the middle of February, and man, this is the first weekend in a long time without any football. Christian, how are you hanging in there? You know, uh, I ran out of excuses to, to do homework, <laughs> unfortunately. So I had to kind of game plan and, and spread my time out. It was different. Uh, good news is, is Michigan basketball was back, so I was able to, you know, be actively engaged in a sporting event, which was nice. But yeah, it's a lot different without football. However, there is the fan-controlled football league. I don't know if you watched that at all over the weekend, but it's uh, the I think they I think it was seven on seven. It's kind of like arena football. Uh, a lot of interesting names out there. Johnny Manziel was playing for the Zappers. <laughs> which, uh, ironically enough, is owned by Bob Mennery. I don't know how you feel about Mr. Mennery. I have my opinions. But, uh, yeah, it was so there was football. It was live-streamed on Twitch. Uh, but it's nothing compared to the NFL and college football and that sort of thing. Yeah, obviously we got to wait now until, check my calendar, late August, September. Oh, boy. Well, I guess right now we can talk about the draft. It won't be until uh, end of April. So let's finish up this mock draft version 1.0. Christian, are you ready? I am. So for those who have been listening, the past two weeks we've been going through our first version of mock drafts. Don't have any trades in these scenarios. Two weeks ago we did picks 1 through 10. Last week's episodes we did 11 through 20. This week we're going to go through 21 through 32. So Christian, are you ready? Absolutely. All right. So pick 21. The the Indianapolis Colts are on the clock. We're starting to get back into the playoff teams. Um, Christian, Indianapolis Colts select. Matt Jones. Quarterback. I think that they're not. I mean, there's word on the street that Jacoby Brissett might be out the door. Uh, I really, I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's a franchise guy by any means, anyway. So, allow them to go take a chance on this kid in the first round. Mac Jones. I personally am not super sold on him. I think that the Alabama track record of quarterbacks compared to the Alabama track record of skilled guys is an interesting dynamic to look at. So. Again, I don't fully endorse it, but I think that's what they're going to do, and that's why I make this pick. So I also have Mac Jones, but here's the thing. I totally understand the track record of Alabama quarterbacks. I get that. At the same time, though, what was Tua's biggest issue in the pros this year? Was it hanging on the ball too long? Yeah. The one thing I saw with Mac Jones this season, especially the title game, he was in a system where he can get the ball out within one second, two seconds, that kind of quick feel. He had a great run game, great O-line, Obviously a great receiving core. 
I think a place like Indy would be the perfect, I wouldn't say perfect, it would be the most ideal fit for him because they have a running game. They have a really good offensive line. They have playmakers that can get open quick. I think the transition from Alabama to Indianapolis will be smooth enough where we can find success. And he is a big body kid with a good arm. Again, if you could just if you get him in a situation where you can make quick decisions, go through one progression, two, three, get it out. He's athletic enough to run, although he's not the same level as some quarterbacks in the NFL. But you know the stigma behind Alabama quarterbacks, I get it. But also, I feel a lot of these Alabama quarterbacks, skill wise, have not been there, and I don't think they've been into a good situation as Mac Jones would be with the Colts. I think that's a big part of it too. A lot of these quarterbacks, like with Matthew Stafford, yeah, not the great situation. Now we're 12 years later, he's finally in a team where he could probably win something. Mm-hmm. So that's how I feel about Mac Jones. So moving on, we're going to stick in the AFC South. The Tennessee Titans. Christian, pick 22, the Titans select. Aziz Ojolari, outside linebacker. Try to say that five times faster. Yeah, no kidding. No, I think that they uh, kind of... I don't want to say got exposed because they did play Baltimore down to the wire, but defensively they just need another piece. And I think being able to add a guy like Ojolari, who from everything I've heard has got some pretty high upside, I think would be good for them in their defense. So for me, when you look at the Titans, offense is fine. Maybe mm-hmm. the O-line was uh, probably needed, was, was probably as great as it was. Bobby Zaver banged up. Um, Taylor DeWan missed all this, basically all season. Um I'm blanking on the kid's name, and I'm upset. Oh, they also had Isaiah Wilson, the first-round pick, mm-hmm. have some issues off the field. Oh, not the only held solid. Their defense, linebacking course, secondary, trying to stop a run game, solid. Their pass rush, um, you cannot say the same for that. Right. So that's their biggest need, trying to get over the, get to the quarterback. I have Greg Rousseau, edge rusher out of Miami. He fits the need. I think this pick could be played around with a little bit. But I think the one thing the Titans need isn't really a slam dunk pick for that in the draft mm-hmm. class, which is unfortunate, especially the cap falling. Everyone gonna be in a tight cap spot. Um, they gotta dig deep and try to find a pass rush. So pick twenty three, the New York Jets. Their second first round pick from Seattle mm-hmm. for the Jamal Adams deal. We got the Jets taken here at twenty three. Now this might be a little bit of an interesting pick, but I had them taking Travis Etienne, and I think it makes sense because. You want to get people excited about the New York Jets. Everybody loves new toys. You got your new quarterback up top, number two. I have him taking Zach Wilson. Get him a running back to go with it. Travis Etienne, make this offense young, exciting. You might not be super good in year one, but it gives fans something to get excited about again. And after being, well, for lack of a better word, pissed off about winning games so they couldn't get Trevor Lawrence, um, go get a running back and a quarterback. So for me, I thought about ATN too, but I went a different way. Uh, I had the Jets taken Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa. Ooh, I said that pretty well, I think. Uh-huh. If I butchered that, all Nordine fans, and to uh, Jeremiah himself, I apologize. The Jets could go a lot of ways here at 23. I could trade it down. They can trade back up, trying to get in the top 20. Um, I think a defense player with this kind of defensive versatility would be huge. I mean, you look at the Jets' defense, you're going to have C.J. Mosley back. Mm-hmm. You have Marcus May. You have Quinn Williams. What else? Exactly. They have a lot of holes to fill, a lot of things to patch on the defense. Uh, I think Owosu Koromora could you could put him a linebacker. I think he's athletic enough and the size you could maybe put him at a safety spot. But I think there's a lot of things you could do with him to try and help ease in how you patch in these next few holes. So, 
Pick 24, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Winners of 11 straight and absolutely collapsed down the stretch, yeah. which broke my heart into a million little pieces. I'm still trying to hold it together by duct tape. If you can't tell yet, I'm a big Steelers guy. So, Christian, pick 24, the Pittsburgh Steelers select. Jalen Mayfield, offensive tackle. I think that offensive line is a huge need for them. I joked with you before the show that they were going to take a quarterback. That's not going to – I don't think it's going to happen. I don't see a reason for them taking a quarterback. But I think Mayfield's a solid player, man. He's a good blocker, um, which obviously is a required trait of any first-round offensive lineman. And more importantly, it keeps the uh, – well, I guess I've got Quiddy Pay up here, too, so the track record of Michigan guys going in the first round continues. <laughs> I mean, even though they may not know how to be used while they're in the maize and blue, unfortunately. So when I looked at Pittsburgh, quarterback, okay. Running game, stunk. Connor couldn't stay healthy for the most part. Um, right tackle Zach Banner first week, torn ACL. Chukwumar core four, solid season. Mm-hmm. Alejandro, Alejandro Von the way by left tackle. We saw the decline on this last year of his deal. Marquise Pouncey is gone. Uh, we saw David DeCastro. Kevin Dotson, their fourth-round pick, was the best-round blocker in the draft class, and he played amazingly. I don't know why Matt Pollard started that playoff game. I'm still upset about that. Yeah. But for me, it's uh, off of the tackle. It's Liam Eichenberg out of Notre okay. Dame. Uh, the Pittsburgh's a power run. And if you watch Notre Dame all this year, they love to run it down your throat. This is true. So a uh, big body like Liam Eichenberg... Um, I think it's, it's a really ideal fit. Uh, I did also mess around with Alex Leatherwood here too. I think, but I think obviously offensive line is the need here. I get I've seen some mock drafts say Zayvon Collins for Tulsa. Uh, I would love to see that, but I think with Pittsburgh's needs and probably the talent on the board, uh, that's not going to happen. I can also see him trading down this pick too because that's what Pittsburgh seems to always do, which I'm not upset about. So, pick twenty five. Back the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars cashing in on the draft capital from the Jalen Ramsey deal. At 25, the Jaguars select. Gregory Rousseau. I really don't know how I still have him on the board, but, I mean, to me, this is just too good of a player to pass up this late in the first round. You get him at 25, I mean, this is why it's 1.0, obviously, is, you know, things will get worked over in terms of our mock drafting and, uh, I do. I think Rousseau is a heck of a player. Um, getting another edge presence on that defense for a team that just wasn't good last year uh, is, will be a boost. Obviously, Rome wasn't built in a day, and so it's not like he's going to be a total game changer. But getting a piece to work with, I think, is important for their defense. And so I think that it's good to get an exciting player on defense to go with the exciting player on offense. They got a number one. Yeah, so for me, I went uh, offensive line. I went Taven Jenkins, offensive tackle of Oklahoma State. Uh, one thing I love and hate both about Oklahoma State is such a spread out, quick mm-hmm. tempo offense. Very similar to what Urban Meyer likes to do. Um, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen in the offensive line, but if you're going to really invest in Trevor Lawrence, you better keep him on his this feet and not on his back, especially coming off uh, Torrin Labrum on his left shoulder. Yeah. Um, not a, I don't think it would be a huge deal, but no. I mean, we'll see what happens. Obviously, Labrum's aren't fun to mess with, what I hear. So, uh, 26, the Cleveland Browns. The playoff game winning Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. I'd say that, but it's 2021. I guess I think it happens now. What do you got the Browns doing here? It's kind of a toss-up here. Uh, I'm going to go with Zayden Collins, linebacker from Tulsa. I think that another defensive piece for them. For them, I think you know, you've know you got all the exciting pieces on offense with Baker and the running backs and uh, Beckham Jr. if he's still around. Uh, who knows with him? 
uh, Jarvis Landry. So to go out and get another piece on defense, I think, is good for them. Um, I, I can see them going a lot of different ways with this. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to go with Collins here. So I look at Cleveland's defense. All right, I think offense, they won't touch. O-line's real good. Mm-hmm. Running backs are fine. Receivers are fine. Quarterback's fine. Look at this defense. D-line, the Miles Garrett and uh, Olivia Vernon Jr., the two D-tackles. It's good. Yes. Secondary with Denzel Ward. That's yeah, good. They're, you know, they'll get, they'll get Grand Delvin back. Outside of Taki Taki, that linebacking core stinks. Mm-hmm. It stinks. So I also have Zayman Collins here. I think probably 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 one of the most underrated players in this draft class. Probably the best linebacker in this class, all around. Uh, the senior the season he had at Tulsa was unreal. So I think Zayman Collins, best player on the board at this point, and also yes. the best fit. So twenty seven, the Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. Where do you got the Ravens taken? You know, um, I'm going to go with Wyatt Davis. He's an offensive guard from Ohio State. I think he's a with a quarterback that runs around as much as Lamar Jackson does. You can use all the O-line help you can get. I know that there's some, some talk on the street about maybe Rodney Stanley wanting out, uh, but he's a tackle. I mean, I think that going guard here is, a, is probably the best choice, and um, obviously, you can build through the offensive line and really the defense too through the later rounds. But I think the defense is fine, and they're obviously good at the skilled position. So Wyatt Davis, Ohio State. I'm looking at my big board here. He's, I think, the top guy left that I have. So shout out to the Ravens. So that's so also obviously Baltimore's issue left tackle. Obviously, Ronnie Stanley when he was healthy, one of the best left tackles in the game. Orlando Brown Jr. wants to stay at left tackle. That's what it's they, Orlando Brown that wants out. They have to find a way to sort that out. Yeah. Which, as a Steelers fan, I'm getting excited to see how that's going to pan mm-hmm. out. Because, obviously, whatever happens between both teams, I'm always intrigued about how the rivalry goes. But for me, I look at the receiving court. You got Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. No one else is really like a big receiver, right? They had Des Bryant for a while there. Yeah. Terrence Marshall Jr., wide receiver, LSU, get a big 6-3 wide out. To go opposite side of Marquise Brown. I like that pick. Because, listen, we all know that with Baltimore, I mean, I like your pick, obviously, of Wyatt Davis. I think they've been missing that guard since mm-hmm. Marshall Yonda left. You can tell there's a hole there. But I think when you look at playmakers and skill positions and getting Lamar some help, I think obviously the running backs with, um, obviously the running backs with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, they're good. Uh, offensive line, they, they can get find some guys during the draft, maybe plug in for agency. Defense, solid. Although what happens with Matthew Judon, we'll see. But wide receiving core needs work. Uh, Terrence Marshall, LSU, big six receiver. Really good fit. Um, the New Orleans Saints. The team that is about in the same amount of debt as a typical medical student coming out of college. No with kidding. The Looking at least 70 to 100 mil over the cap right now. So... This draft class, Christian, who do the Saints take? This is an interesting pick because they have they're they're obviously going to need a quarterback at some point. I think that they're going to roll with Jameis, and I honestly kind of like that. Uh, so I'm not I don't have them taking a quarterback. Hmm, I'm going to have them go O line. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. I think it would be a good pick for them. You know, you got to. If you're going to go with Jameis, you got to do everything you can to keep him upright. So why not throw another offensive lineman in the mix? I agree with the offensive line part. However, uh, Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek both have contracts about to, you know, mm-hmm. lap out. You're not, you're not going to be able to keep both of them. Right. 
Oh, sad face for Saints fans. Oh, I can't get both <laughs> the All-Pro linemen. Uh, I'm sorry if I was a little weird with the Saints fans there. But, however, 28, I got Alex Leatherwood of Alabama. Um, like I just mentioned, they have linemen there. They can't keep both of them. They're very, very good. And both have had some injury issues the past couple of years. Right. So, I think at 28, Leather, if Leatherwood's still on the board, I think it's a slam-dunk choice. Obviously, whoever you have, have a quarterback or running back you need, you still got to be able to have a solid line, which they've had a very good offensive line in the past few years. You added Cesar Ruiz and Eric McCoy in the draft the past two years. Mm-hmm. Keep that trend of staying young with early picks. Go with Alex Otherwood. Oh, there's about five different ways I could see this draft going for them. But I think right, right now, because version 1.0, it's Alex Otherwood from Alabama. So now we get to the conference runners-up. Let's start first with the Green Bay Packers. Christian, as a Green Bay Packer hater, being a Lions fan, yeah. who do you have the Packers taking here? This might be an interesting pick, and I think I may... I don't know how I feel about it, but I have them taking Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State. I think that they made a mistake. They made Aaron Rodgers angry by taking a quarterback. You could have got him a skill guy. I think adding a dynamic pass-catching tight end to that offense with Devontae Adams, and we've seen things out of guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling say that ten times fast. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Yeah, I I knew you'd do it. I knew you'd do it. Um, Yeah, I think adding a tight end and that kind of give it that high-low threat would be super interesting to see. Um, We'll see how it turns out, but I think Fryermuth would be an interesting addition here. So when I look at Green Bay in the NFC title game, pass rush, obviously we already addressed it in your big DN. This draft class, I don't feel it has that, especially at 29. That we know of, I mean, there's always, right. that, there's always that sneaky pick that you and I can't see, but the front offices can. I look also at the secondary and how bad Kevin King got burned. This is true. Now, I'm thinking, is there a player in the secondary on this board that probably has a high football IQ? Somebody who's been around the game their entire life. Are you thinking who I'm thinking? Oh, uh, you're probably not. Are probably you? not. Asante Samuel Jr. out okay. of Florida State, defensive back. Look, his father Asante Samuel played a long time Patriots, yep. Eagles. I understand Samuel's not the top corner in the draft, but he's slowly creeping up draft boards. Mm-hmm. He's also one of two DBs that are probably the top fifty players. That were have been around the NFL culture their entire lives. Yeah. You've seen what happened with like Anto- Anton Winfield Jr. this year, right? He was able to step in and play a great role with Tampa Bay. I think Asante Samuel Jr. is talented enough, the high enough football IQ where he could step in and have an impact opposite Jair Alexander. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, that's probably the one thing Green Bay needs is another corner because Alexander did fine against Tampa Bay. King, you can't see the same. This is a contract here for him. And mm-hmm. as big as Kevin King was physically, he was a 6 3 corner, you got to find somebody smart enough that can step in and immediately make an impact. So for me, I think Asante Samuel Jr. is a really smart fit that I think people may not totally um, really get. I'm not saying I'm a genius here, which it may even be the pick. He may be second rounder for like here. But this off the version 1.0, I feel like that's just a really good pick for the Packers. Yeah, I agree with you there. So now we get to the AFC runners-up, uh, the Buffalo Bills at 30. Christian, who did the Bills take at 30? Hmm. Um, let's go with, see, I think they're good defensively. Uh, there's still some good pieces here on the board, so it wouldn't surprise me if they go that wrong. 
But I um I like Alex Leatherwood here. Offensive line, Alabama. I think that continuing like it's it's very similar to what I said about Baltimore, just keeping the quarterback on their feet. Obviously so much potential with Josh Allen, just another body in there to, to keep him upright would be super important because at the end of the day, I mean keeping him healthy is number one and for as much as he runs around, being able to keep him on his feet is, is super important. I agree with the offensive line. I will say, though, I think all of us a tackle are set. However, the interior line, when you have the weapons that you have, you have Josh Allen quarterback, mm-hmm. I think Zach Moss and Devin Singletary are solid running backs. Yep. Good rotation. That interior line needs work. So this is where I have Elijah Vera Tucker from USC being taken here. Mm-hmm. I think, obviously, if you can find a little more success to run game, if you can find just another tough physical interior lineman to help kind of bullshit that inside – I think it's a smart choice here. Uh, and that's honestly, I feel, the one thing the Bills need is just interior offensive line help. So I think right now it's a good fit. I could see Vera Tucker going uh, sooner than 30. Like you mentioned, um, you mentioned some other players you thought, you mentioned Rousseau would be gone by the time he yeah. fell to Jacksonville. Um, I think Vera Tucker could be gone before he gets to 30. But if he's at 30, I think this is a player that Buffalo is smiling ear yep. to ear from. Especially now we have Cody Ford and Deion Dawkins at tackles. Mm-hmm. Now you can work on the inside. So uh, the AFC champions, Kansas City Chiefs. Who do you have the Chiefs taking? Christian Bar, Bar- is it Barmore? Christian Barmore from Alabama? Bar- Barmore, Barrymore. You see how I in that last name? <laughs> I thought it was an A. I guess I can't read. No, it's just B-A-R-M-O-R-E. Barmore. I think that stepping up that pass rush, uh, Justin Houston's good. Outside of him, uh, adding a defensive tackle in there, trying to put some pressure on the passer because they've obviously experienced and seen what happens when it's the other way around. So adding pass rusher would be important and um, getting them as they kind of build that defense to get on the same level as their offense is to where their offense is usually pretty unstoppable. You may... You mentioned the Chiefs saw this on the other end, right, when the O-line collapses. Mm-hmm. Without Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, we saw the O-line can do, right? So do I So do I really need to explain why Davis and Ohio State going here at 31? Do I really, really need to explain this? No. Okay. So pick 32. Uh, Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Gronkineers or Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I can't, like, very similar to the Raiders, I can't pin down what they're going to do here exactly. Yeah. But, hey, shot in the dark, Ridge 1.0, who do you think? Um, what about Trey Smith from Tennessee? I like it. Big body dude, uh, offensive line. There's just not a whole lot of holes here. I mean, secondary was good. Pass rush is good. They're set at quarterback. All their, I mean, there's a chance one of the receivers or two of the receivers don't come back. But right now... Based on what I know, concrete knowledge, I'm ha- I got them going offensive line because that's I would say their biggest need, and especially with as immobile and stationary as Tom Brady is, having a plethora of dudes that can just stand in there and dig their put their hands in the dirt, really dig in, and you know throw guys around is important. And so I got them going Trey Smith out of Tennessee. So one thing I have to feel with Tampa, um, Shaq Barrett was playing with the believe of the franchise tag. You don't know about the future of Jason Pierre-Paul. This could be where he rides off in the sunset mm-hmm. with all eight or seven of his fingers. <laughs> but uh, I, I have here uh, Jalen Phillips, edge rusher out of Miami. Um, yeah, if you're going to lose Barrett, you're going to lose Pierre-Paul, you got to replenish that somehow. Um, 
I feel another probably the best edge player in the board right now is probably the best fit. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it could be outside linebacker. It could be somewhere on the defensive front. It could be a right guard position because I feel with Jensen, Marpet, Moses, and Worfs, they're set. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe running back could be a potential there. But I think I'll go right now. Jalen Phillips from Miami. So this concludes the UC mock draft version 1.0. Christian, how do you feel about it? I've got a lot to learn. <laughs> that makes both of us. So, last week we talked American League East, right? Mm-hmm. Church of Baseball. Are you ready to talk about the AL Central? Absolutely. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. Because I don't know if I really am or not. It's going to be rough here for the Tigers. I know it. Brave face. Come on. So, let's start from the top down. Because we have a very special surprise with the top Tigers, uh-huh. right? So, the Chicago White Sox. What's your outlook on them? They're in a good spot. They are in a good spot. Their general manager executed this rebuild very, very well. Uh, so many good pieces. You know, you look at Moncada and Robert and Eloy, uh, the pitching with Giolito, and, you know, maybe if Michael Kopech's ever able to, to reach where he was supposed to be potential-wise. I know he missed all of last season. Um, they're in an interesting spot because they, you know, make the wild card game and then kind of laid an egg. Uh, or not? It was no. It was the divisional, I believe, um, with the whole new playoff format or whatever. Um, yeah, they're all right. They they should be contenders. Kind of looking at the state of everybody else in the division, they might be the top dog. So the only real knock I have on them is the manager, because I am one hundred percent certain if AJ Hinch would have gotten a phone call. From Rick Hahn, right, is the GM? I believe so, but don't quote me on that. If they, you had got a call from Rick Hahn, he'd have took a red-eye flight to Chicago to be the manager of the White Sox. And you go and get Tony La Russa, who's a scumbag. Like, what are you doing? I mean, you got so much young talent, and they've got swagger. I mean, Eloy's three buttons down with big old chains, and... It's like these dudes play the game the new way. Bat flips. You know, you're pipping home runs. You're you're doing this and that. And it's like now you bring in one of the old, you know, very steady, staunch, unwritten rules, guys. It's like I just don't see that working out. Uh, so the talent's there. But, you know, in my opinion, the potential of this team is in the hands of the brain trust. And it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah, I won't say anything about La Russa yet because, yeah, he's kind of an old-school guy, but I feel his resume as a manager speaks for itself. Well, that's true. So, obviously, we'll see what happens here. Obviously, I think going in, Bobby, may be a little different, but, you know, maybe sometimes a little discipline, maybe being a little grounded may help a young team. That's still, so yeah, I'll play devil's advocate here. But, yeah. when I look at the White Sox, I look at this rotation, adding Lance Lynn to go with Giolito, to go with Dallas Keuchel, to go with Michael Kopech, hopefully he's healthy again. Yes. To go with Carlos Rondon, who I believe resigned for a year. Mm-hmm. And Dylan Cisse, or Cisse, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to pronounce that exactly, who could just, that was absolute fire, trying to figure it out, kind of like Scherzer did. Uh, you couple that, now we have Aaron Balmer as another lefty. There's another guy I'm thinking of that came on late, his name on Blake on so bad, I'll figure it out next week for you folks. I'm sorry There's about the that. young kid that came up at the end of the year that a, they picked. A big, lengthy lefty. Yeah, he throws gas. He but I'll get past that. He also had Liam Hendricks for the ninth. He also had Adam Eaton get, bring him back, which, mm-hmm. by the way, what a fleecing they did with the Nats. No kidding. So now you have uh, Adam Eaton, Lewis Robert, 
with Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, to go with Yoan Moncada, Tim Anderson, Nick Madrigal, Jose Abreu, and Yasmani Grandal. Loaded. <laughs> if this team doesn't make the ALCS against the Yankees, this is a failure. Yeah. Without a doubt. Wholeheartedly. The talent they have is just unreal. This is a team that I feel is going to run away with the AL Central. I don't think it's even going to be close. Maybe above six, five, six games. If they stay healthy and things go right, obviously. Because obviously, if they get injury played, I'm talking about something else. I'm saying yeah. right now what, we can, what they can control. Talent-wise, there's no reason for this team to be one of the last four teams left. Mm-hmm. And they will be by the time October comes around. So, yeah. Let's shift now gears to the Minnesota Twins. The team that hasn't won a playoff series in... Boy, I don't even think you're watching baseball yet, because I wasn't watching baseball yet. Uh, I was probably just an idea at that point. <laughs> well, it was the early 2000s against the A's, I believe, so... Yeah, that would be about it then. Yeah, I was born in 01, July, so... There's that big of a gap between us. Holy smokes. Anyway, Minnesota <laughs> I'm Twins. I'm What's the outlook for the Twins? You know... With Minnesota, they're always in an interesting spot because I remember a couple of years ago they hit for power like no other, but again, you get to the postseason and lay an egg. Their pitching's okay. Their lineup's okay. Um, they're not on the level of the White Sox. I can see them finishing second. I can see them. I think they should be favored ahead of Cleveland at this point. Um, but. I, I don't think they have enough weapons to catch Chicago. They're just, I mean, you got Buxton. Uh, Jorge Polanco is still there, isn't he? I think he's still there. He's solid. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Um, but, you know, I just don't think they've got it. Their pitching's like I said, it's okay. Um, if Berrios can lock it down, he's legit. Uh, but outside of him, they're okay. Uh, I think uh, is Kuro, uh, not I'm not I'm thinking of the wrong name. I'm blanking on his name. Kenta Maeda. Yes, yeah, he's pretty solid too. So they're in a good. I guess they're in a good spot. But like we've talked about, the White Sox just have so many weapons that it'll be tough to catch them. I would say uh, I don't think Minnesota's the same tier as the White Sox, but I wouldn't scoff at them for wild card spot. Right. They still have some really talented players. You still got Miguel Sano. You still got Eddie Rosario, to my knowledge. You still have Max Kepler, who Kepler is, can, can, can hit 30 bombs for you. Uh, if Maeda can find some of the same success he had last season, holy smokes, with Jose Barrios. Mm-hmm. But the, my player to watch, the AL Central, is a former MVP, and people are sleeping on him, and I don't know why. Josh Donaldson. Yeah. If he could somehow regain the form he had in Toronto and Oakland, he will be a problem in the American League. The bringer he will of rain. Be, he will be a problem. However, he still has to find that form. I think we saw a little bit with Atlanta. I think we saw bits and pieces of it with Minnesota. But if he's the guy that can slash 280, 35, and like 105, Minnesota's a wild mm-hmm. card team. Because they still have enough talent around him. Pitching-wise, we'll see. Uh, they got some guys I'm excited for. Um, the one player I'm kind of looking for, I don't know if he's going to play this year or not, maybe until next year. When are we going to see Royce Lewis? Royce Lewis, I'm excited to see Royce Lewis. I I don't know when, but he's uh, he's an exciting dude. I remember he was part of that draft. I know I think Hunter Green went too. I, that's another one I want to see. I'm excited about him too. But yeah, Royce Lewis is a good player, and he's uh, 
I think he's going to be a stud. So the Twins, let's talk to the Cleveland insert team name here because last I heard they're going to change it. Yep. So right now we'll call them, we'll do, we'll do it like the NFL, we'll call it the Cleveland baseball team. There you How go. about that? I'm re- Cleveland fans or Cleveland organization, if you're hearing this, please don't call them the baseball team. No. Please be clear about it. Call them the Rockers for like here. The uh, name them after. Or the Sea Monsters, like the AHL team. <laughs> let's do the thing where if you're going to change your team's name, you have to change it to the last name of the the most significant star you most recently traded away. The Lindors? The Cleveland Lindors. I'll tell you what. I'll do even better. The Klubers. I'll tell you what. No, no. I got to do even better. From now on, let's talk about the Cleveland Wild Things. Oh, I love that. So, the Wild the Things. The Ricky Vaughn. So, let's, let's talk about the Wild Things here. How do you feel about the Wild Things? They're, they've... Basically nuked their team with Lindor. You trade him away. I, I shouldn't say that because they still have Jose Ramirez and a couple of other solid pieces out there. Uh, but they, they've acknowledged that their window to win is not what it used to be. So uh, Kluber's gone. Cookie Carrasco's gone. Bauer was gone a couple of years ago. Um, Lindor's gone. They'll be competitive, I think. I think they'll be okay. So uh, part of it will be because the two teams below them won't be good, but I would say middle of the pack. I think they'll be competitive for a wild card spot for most of the year, but um, come August, I think the wheels will kind of fall off and they'll be they'll be out of the running. So this is what happens when you don't manage your uh, salary cap right. Yep, because this is going to be an issue they were going to have, and now we're seeing the after effects of it. And you know what? They were honestly one good one good inning away from winning a World Series. Mm-hmm. Let's be totally honest. They were tied in the tenth and just couldn't couldn't win it in the tenth. But you know, when I look at the wild things, I look yes they still have Jose Ramirez. You have Shane Bieber, who I believe won the American League saw young last year. If not, he was a really top runner. Yeah, he's a beast. They still have some young guys like Zach Plesak. They have some other young pitchers that I'm excited for. Their lineup, yes they still have Jose Ramirez, but they're young everywhere else. Guys like Fran Mil Reyes. But you know, Cleveland is kind of very similar to the field what Tampa normally is. Just a young team with not a lot of payroll that's just trying to find their footing. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously moving Lindor is going to hurt. Obviously the players have moved from are really, really good. But, you know, Cleveland's have spent a lot of money. So obviously they're not going to be able to retain those guys and build a really fruitful and long full core. Probably the best way to put it. So... Yeah. Yeah, Cleveland, obviously, the bottom two teams in the division, the top two teams in the division, they're kind of right in that sweet yes. spot in the middle. Wild card, they'll contend. Are they going to reach their wild card spot? I think no, yeah, as of right now. Right. But, you know, injuries happen. Uh, people have breakout seasons. We don't know. So, as you have the wild things pegged to third, I have my C tier. I have the White Sox, A tier, Twins, B tier. Mm-hmm. Um, wild things are C tier. And they could jump to a B tier real quick. Or they could even fall to a D tier, which I doubt. But... Let's move on to the Kansas City Royals. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's the outlook on the Royals? I mean, what is there to say? Really? They, 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 kind of, they kind of initiated that 30-year plan five years ago. So, yeah, they, uh, they'll, they'll come to Comerica and kick the piss out of the Tigers like they always do. Um, Whit Merrifield will have nine home runs in three games in that series because it's unbelievable when he comes to Comerica for whatever reason. I do think he's a pretty solid player. Um, but really, they'll be okay. I I don't think they'll be very good. They'll probably finish out of Detroit 
and that's about it. <laughs> they have some guys I'm excited for. Obviously, Salvador Perez is one of the most best catchers in the, Amer- in the MLB when he's healthy. Um, Whit Merrifield's a guy I'm excited for. I'm excited to see what Brady Singer does this season. Singer, yeah, he's good. And they get they traded for a guy from Boston. They added Andrew Benatendi from Benatendi. That's from, right. for me. It seems like out of nowhere. He's yeah. he's not royal. I'm kind of excited to see what he can do. Yeah, that could be a move where if they kind of start to turn things around, I blanked on that, but I did see that the other day. Where if he comes to Kansas City and becomes le- a legit dude, that's a move people are going to talk about for a long time. Yeah, because obviously whatever happened in the past couple years at Boston, just, it looked like for a while there's a lot of potential, a lot of hope with him, and then last couple of years it's just injuries, inconsistencies, Boston's in a camp issue. Uh, but yeah, Kansas City is a D-tier team for me. Not sniffing wild card, you're still a couple years out, but... Mm-hmm. Before we get to talk to the Tigers, I think we need some help talking Tigers, don't you I think? I do. We have a very special guest here. Should we get to him? Absolutely. Let's get to a special guest. All right, so joining us now via Zoom for our first guest of the season is a very, very special guest. When you hear something strange going in the neighborhood, you call Ghostbusters. But when you live in the great state of Michigan and need to hear something about Tigers, you call one man. And that one man happens to actually be a good friend of both mine and Christian's. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Detroit Free Press, Detroit Tigers beat writer, give a big hand to Mr. Evan Petzl. Hey, thank you guys very much for having me on. I mean, there's a lot of great writers in this city, um, you know, great town. Um, you know, two great papers in the free press and the, in the news, but, um, I appreciate it as always. It's good to chat with you guys, obviously being, um, you know, I'm always going to be a CM lifer. So, um, you know, it's always good to get a chance to catch up with you guys. And yeah, you know, now I get to share some insight into, into Tigers baseball. I'm down here in, uh, in Lakeland, Florida now just arrived today and, uh, pitchers and catchers report on Wednesday. First full team workout is on the 22nd. Um, you know, games are going to be starting up, uh, you know, later this month. There's a lot of, there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening, man. You know, new manager, um, you know, prospects obviously on the rise, some guys looking for bounce back seasons. I mean, there, there's just a lot to talk about as, you know, this team especially is coming out of a, uh, coming out of a rebuild and they're trying to build their way out of it. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like the slow and steady approach that you never know when it's going to end. Um, but you know, you're kind of just holding on, you know, waiting and seeing, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to talk, man. Anything you guys got fire away. Well, first things first, gotta say, I I am extremely jealous that you're probably in the one spot in the great United States of America that is not below freezing right now. So just get out of the way, man. You're kind of lucky duck there. Uh, You mentioned some of these bounce back players. Hey, hey. no, no, wait, wait, wait. I gotta say, I gotta say 82 and sunny today. Uh, Just keep born solid. Just, just keep pouring salt in the wound there, Evan. Just keep pouring the big can of salt right in the big open wound. Uh, you mentioned some of these guys looking for bounce backs. Uh, two recent signings, uh, Nomar Mazzara and Renato Nunez. Uh, where do they fit in this lineup? And were you kind of surprised that these signings came so close to spring training? Uh, in terms of when, when the signings happened, not at all. I mean, I, I think that that was kind of the Tigers' approach, you know, the, the entire time, right? The first thing they did is they went out and they got a pitcher and Jose Urania, and they needed to do that um, because they needed to bolster that rotation, especially considering how things went last year. You know, they had the worst, um, you know, ERA um, among starters in the majors, and, and, and things just weren't pretty there. So to be able to add, 
Urania. And also, too, like you have to remember they're going from 60 games to 162 games. So you're looking at a situation where there's going to be inning limits. I mean, you're not going to see, you know, Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize, two of the young prospects, and, and Matt Manning even as well. They're not going to throw full seasons. I mean, they're not going to be able to crank it up and, and dial it back. Now, for some reason, the Tigers get into postseason contention, which is highly unlikely. Um, but if they do, I mean, we'll see, you know, what ends up happening. But, yeah, so they go to Urania first, right, and they get that arm that they need. Um, and then, you know, kind of the whole thought process there was just wait and see what the market produces. It was going to be a slow market. It was always going to be a slow market because of the pandemic and the financial uncertainties. And I get it. Like, listen, Chris Illich, you know, he's one of the richest owners in baseball. I understand the Illich family. They have a lot of money. They could go out and spend if they wanted to, but they don't know if they're going to have fans in the seats. They're coming off of a weird COVID year where everything was obviously, you know, downsized financially and you lost out on money, or at least you didn't get money that you expected to have. So, yeah, I mean, everybody in baseball, um, you know, unless, you know, you're a few a few certain teams, I mean, the Padres being one of those. Um, but, you know, the Tigers took a wait-and-see approach. And, you know, to take a flyer on a guy like Ronaldo Nunez, I mean, that's a power bat right there who struggles to uh, to get on base. But, um, you know, he's got – he brings the power, right? And that's your power first baseman that you're looking for. And, sure, they gave him a minor league, uh, minor league deal with an invite to camp and let him prove himself, right? So if he can limit those, uh, limit those strikeouts and increase the walks – you're looking at a guy who's, you know, a, a big league caliber first baseman full season as he's shown in the past. But, um, but yeah, get him for cheap for sure. No more Mazzara. That's another one. Get him for cheap, right? That's kind of like your, um, you know, your right field platoon between Victor Reyes and him, right? If you want to do righty lefty or however you want to manage that, um, there's, you know, there's a there's a wide open, you know, option to do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised with how late those signings came. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, those are guys that obviously were looking to get, you know, on board with the team for spring training and you can get them at a better deal if you take your time and wait on some of those guys. So I, I like them both as, as, as bounce back guys. I don't really see Nunez as a bounce back the same way that I see Mazzara. I mean, Nunez is under team control through 2024. So you're under the thought process of, okay, well, this guy's not on our 40 man roster. So if he needs time, we can give him time. Um, but if he shows something, let's bring him up. And then as far as Mazzara goes, I mean, he's kind of just like your fourth outfielder. Um, you know, I don't think he's a guy that you're really looking to say, Hey, um, you know, let's give him the starting job, you know, guarantee there's going to be a battle with Victor Reyes for right. And I think it could even end up just being a, like a platoon situation, but definitely a guy that you could trade at the deadline though. in Mazzara, I mean, if he can get that bat going, like we saw in years past when he was with the Rangers and. Um, you know, before he went to the White Sox last year. Yeah, you're looking at a trade, you know, a trade piece. So, yeah, not surprised by how late the deals came. I think they're good signings, both of those specifically. Um, and that's kind of where I stand on that. Evan, you mentioned Renato Nunez, kind of a uncertainty at first base for the Tigers. Who do you think is the leader in the clubhouse, uh, per se, to be the opening day first baseman and then to kind of piggyback off that? Who do you think ends the year at first base for the Tigers? That's a, no, that's a good question. It's interesting because they really do have this log jam between first base and third base. And I don't think there's really a problem with it because you have a guy in Jimmer Candelario who can play both positions. Um, Nunez, who we just mentioned, if he makes the team, he can play both first and third. Um, and then you have Miguel Cabrera who wants to get in the field. And, and you know, new manager A.J. Hinch has said numerous times he's going to you know let Cabrera play first base. You know, not every day, but it's going to be one of those things where let's get him back into the field. He likes that. Um, you also have to think too, I mean, you, you, listen, this guy is your franchise player. I understand he's old and I understand, um, you know, he's not the same as he used to be, but you might as well give the franchise player what he wants, as long as you can kind of, you know, limit that possibility for an injury. So you're looking at, yeah, I mean, okay. So yeah, you're looking at a situation where you got Candelario who could play first base. 
Um, Nico Goodrum can play first base as a super utility. Miguel Cabrera can play first base. Um, Jonathan Scope, they think that he can, you know, go over from second base and play uh, first base if they need him to. That could be a situation where, let's say, Isak Paredes, a young prospect, uh, just recently turned 22. Um, you know, this is a guy that if he makes the team and he makes the teams a third base, then maybe he goes and plays second base a couple games. And if that's the case, then, you know, Scope can go play third or Scope could go play first and Candelario could be at there. So there, there's like basically this revolving door of first baseman and third baseman. Um, personally, I, I don't know. I, I'm still waiting to see on Nunez. I think it, obviously if Nunez makes the team, he's your first baseman on opening day. But I'm going to go – I mean, I, I would prefer to kind of side on – um, I don't know. I'm not going to be too optimistic with him just because, you know, I, it's kind of a wait and see, right, on a guy like a minor league deal, right? But if they stick with what they have on the 40-man roster um, and kind of go into that, I'd see, I'd say, you know, Candelario is going to be your, you know, opening day first baseman. Paredes is going to play third base. But in terms of ending the year, um, you know, maybe that's Nunez if, if they don't think he's ready and want to give him some time. But it, it's, it's, it's interesting, man. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot that's kind of, there's a lot of unknowns at that position that need to be figured out. But I guess to give you kind of a concrete answer, I would say Candelario is the guy to start and Candelario is the guy to finish it. Um, but like I said, we'll see how Nunez does. I just can't be too optimistic yet at this point about him. You mentioned earlier that like guys like Matt Manning, uh, Scooball, but they're potentially in the Casey Mize, uh, not going to ramp up to a full uh, schedule, a uh, full 162 game schedule, especially those arms being so young. Uh, where do you see them starting the season at? And same question, but for Parkinson and for Riley Green. Yeah, so we kind of already have a little bit of insight into um, Manning and, uh, and Torkelson and Green. It seems like Manning is going to be uh, starting out in AAA Toledo. I mean, obviously, there's a chance that he breaks the 40-man roster. I mean, that's if he's, he's electric, but I, I still, still, I doubt it. I mean, I think you see him as kind of, uh, you know, anytime after, you know, two weeks into the season, start to look for him to, to get the call up. Um, if they like, if, if the rotation's okay and nobody's hurt, maybe you give them a little bit more time, um, just to kind of hone in and, and get ready to go. But if there's injuries and stuff, I mean, they won't hesitate to call Matt Manning up. They think he's ready. Um, and then for, uh, Riley green, it's looking like he's going to start in double a Erie. Um, so obviously starting in double a Erie, um, you know, we've seen them put guys in Erie and let them sit there the whole season, but I wouldn't rule out a late season call up for him. Um, I think that it's, it's probably a little less likely that's going to happen, but still I wouldn't rule it out. Um, and then for Torkelson, yeah, I mean, he's going to go to high a West Michigan. So he'll be in Grand Rapids. That's, that's how it seems. Um, and that's a guy that I would say two weeks into the, you know, two weeks into the 2022 season, start looking for him. Uh, and then Mize and Scooball, those two, they're going to be competing for jobs in the rotation. Um, but you know, we talk about how they're going to handle this rotation and that, that's, it, it, becomes a situation when you look at, okay, you have Matthew Boyd, you have Spencer Turnbull, um, you have Michael Fulmer, and you also have Daniel Norris who can come in there and, and he could, you know, kind of, you know, like he's going to be in that long reliever role, but also he could, you know, be a starter. And then obviously you brought in Jose Urania, another name, and even Tyler Alexander is another guy who could, you know, potentially start games. So there's a lot of options to start. Um, I would say, I, I, I expect them both. I, I would say, I hope that, I see them both in the rotation because I think they're ready for it. I think they, they need that um, in terms of just jumping in there right away and, and kind of kicking the tires and, and rolling with it. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of the two started in AAA Toledo, whether that's it, maybe that's Mize, maybe that's Scooble. I would say right now, if, if I had to pick one player 
uh, of those two that's going to end up in the majors to start the year. I'd go Scooble just based on how he looked last year. I think he looked um, a lot better than Mize did. But again, the potential that Mize has, we all know, um, is is off the charts. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I, I think in a perfect world, both will make the rotation to start the year. But I think there's also a really good chance that it's kind of just one of two and then we wait um, for the other one. So we'll see how it all plays out. Like I said, you know, when you have Boyd, Turnbull, and you have Fulmer, you know, he had his first year coming back from Tommy John surgery last season. And now this year, it's okay. Like, we only gave you three innings last year per start. What, what can you give us this year? The Tigers have no idea what to expect from Michael Fulmer. Um, Boyd is obviously seeking a, a huge bounce back after he had a 6-7-1 ERA last year. Um, Turnbull's kind of looking like that guy that's going to be your frontline starter. He's kind of going to be your, I guess, you know, air quotes, ace. Um, I wouldn't call him a big league ace, but it will be the ace of the team. Um, and then your rain is in there to eat innings. And um, if he can stay healthy, he should be able to do that. And then Norris and Alexander, as I mentioned, they can kind of flex into that hybrid starter bullpen role, um, long relief. So a lot of things to to still kind of figure out. But yeah, I mean, hopefully that helps solidify kind of where Torkelson, Green and Manning are going to be. And then Mize and Scooball, they'll, they'll duke it out. Uh, kind of staying on the topic of prospects, who's a guy or two that's kind of going flying under the radar that you think can make an impact in the big leagues in the near future? Dude, I'm going to tell you, people sleep on Drew Carlton. He's a right-hander, um, you know, and he's a, you know, he's a guy that, I, I don't know, I mean, his stuff isn't very good. Like, you're not going to look at Drew Carlton and say, oh, yeah, this guy's going to, you know, blow people away with his fastball or, oh, his off-speed pitches are just unbelievable. Um, not that kind of guy. You know, his fastball sits kind of in the low 90s. He doesn't really do too much, but his command is unbelievable. 25-year-old kid, um, guy that they drafted in the 32nd round in 2017. And he's been electric basically at every stop. This winter, he was in the Dominican Republic, had an 0.63 ERA there um, in 14 innings. He struck out 11 and only walked one. Um, and that's in the Dominican Winter League. So they have, they have pretty good talent over there. Um, that's kind of like the cream of the crop for, for Winter League Baseball. But even then, I mean, he was in AA all of 2019, had a 1.46 ERA, um, 65 strikeouts, 18 walks. Um, his whip was below one, like – this is a guy that can get the job done. And you even look back at his track record, right? Like he wasn't very good at Florida State when he was playing uh, for the Seminoles. But the moment that he broke into the majors, it seems like, you know, he did a really good job, especially when he kind of transitioned into that, okay, now I'm a full-time reliever because he started a little bit at Florida State early on and then transitioned into a relief role in his last year. But, you know, once he got to the majors and, and kind of settled into his role, I mean, he's been, he's been solid through and through. I think this is a guy that, um, you know, it has a real chance to break camp with the team. Um, he's not a non-roster invite. He's going to be going to kind of like a mini camp that I think they have set up um, there in Lakeland. So they're going to have basically their big league camp. And then they kind of have a mini camp with just, I think it's like 10 pitchers and two catchers. I think, I think he has a really good shot to, to come up this year for sure and play uh, and, and be an important piece in that bullpen, a guy that he's not going to do too much, but he's going to be able to get you outs. Um, and then and another guy that people are, and, that, and that's a guy that's really flown under the radar in Drew Carlton. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a massive under the radar guy. Um, but another one is Franklin Perez, um, a right-hander that the Tigers got in the Justin Berlander trade back in 17. He's been injured a ton. Um, hasn't been able to get healthy. He was healthy last year, but obviously, you know, there were no minor leagues. So there really wasn't a way to evaluate what he was doing. And we only got so much information about what was going on down at the alternate training site in Toledo. And I mean, this guy was supposed to be like the, the piece of the, I mean, obviously they had Jake Rogers, who was supposed to be really good and we'll see what he ends up doing this year. He should get his, you know, get back to the majors. But I mean, Perez, now he's 23. 
you know, he's six, three, about 200 pounds. Um, and a guy that was just kind of, you know, praised for being so good, um, earlier in his career and just the injuries really caught up to him. Um, I think, you know, now that he's a guy, he's been on the 40 man roster. Right. And so, um, I mean, at some point they're going to have to make a move to, you know, either designate him for assignment when they make a roster move, which they're not going to do or get him up to the majors and give him a shot. I think he starts in the minors, obviously, um, probably double A AA or triple A, depending on how he looks in spring. But, um, but he's a guy that, I mean, I don't know if they're going to, I mean, it looks like they might be leaning towards using him as more of a bullpen piece. Um, and we'll kind of see, I think that kind of still remains to be seen. I think they're kind of, you know, tossing up the idea of, okay, you know, if he's not going to be good as a starter and he's not going to be able to do that anymore, we can at least use him in the bullpen. Um, but we'll see how it plays out. I still like him. I, I still, I still think there's something there. Um, you know, we saw him in summer camp a little bit and fastball looked good. I mean, he was a little wild, but for the most part, I mean, he kind of looked the part of what you expected when you got him from the, the Verlander deal. Um, so we'll see how it plays out, but I think, yeah, he's under the radar now, um, really under the radar. Um, so we'll see how it all plays out. Evan, let's flash forward here a little bit. Let's talk about June. Obviously the Tigers are picking third. Uh, the article came out today saying how Kumar Rocker would be a perfect fit for the Tigers at three. But I think it's absolutely ludicrous that Pittsburgh would pass up him at one. Uh, is Rocker an actual legit opportunity for Tigers at three? Uh, if not, you know, who's a couple of prospects we should keep our eyes on for that third overall pick? Oh, yeah. No, listen. So, like, when it comes down to, you know, just the draft in general, I mean, there's so much that remains to be seen in, with this draft. I mean, especially when you're looking at trying to evaluate talent. I mean, remember, like, a lot of these guys didn't, you know, especially, like, you know, the college guys, they barely even played last year, right? Like, they everything got shut down for those guys, you know, what, 15 games into the season um, for those guys that are down south and even less for guys that are up more towards the north. So, like, you didn't really get much to evaluate off. And, and I think, you know, could, could Rocker drop for sure? I think people think that Jordan Lawler is the number one prospect um, in this draft. And they think that, you know, he's a guy that, sure, maybe he was kind of hovering in that two, three, four range a couple months ago. But now they kind of see him as, um, you know, the best the best pick overall, right? I mean, I understand this guy's, you know, he's a, he's a high school kid. He's a shortstop. They profile him kind of like a Derek Jeter type of a thing, like, He's supposed to be a big deal. Right. And obviously, you know, when you're looking at making these comparisons, it's all, it's all a guessing game, right. You're just seeing what you're, you're trying to evaluate on the field and you're trying to, you know, make a comparison to how does that translate to the majors? Well, you never really know, but yeah, I mean, people think that that Lawler is the, the number one prospect. So if he's number one, um, you know, you're looking at a chance to, to see rocker, what if rockers two, then rocker could drop to three. Right. I think they need to take a college, a uh, college player that is going to be able to help move this rebuild. You know, so when you have the the rebuild going on, you need college players to kind of see it through. So, yeah, Rocker's one of them. Uh, Matt McClain, the shortstop from UCLA, I like him. Uh, Adrian Del Castillo, the catcher from Miami. I think if Jake Rogers really struggles this year and you want some insurance at catcher, I think you go after him. Uh, Jaden Hill, a right-hander from LSU. He's always, you know, he's a guy you got to keep your mind on. Um, and then, obviously, Jack Leader from Vanderbilt. People think that he might go, too. That's kind of how – um, you know, ESPN's draft expert, Kylie McDaniel thinks it'll go. He, he sees Lawler at one leader at two and then rocker at three to the Tigers. Um, so those are kind of the three, one, uh, the, the guys to look at. I mean, Judd Fabian, outfielder from Florida. They like him. Um, obviously, you know, if you can get outfield help, you're going to get it. Um, but yeah, like it, it's, it, it really, there's so much that's unknown about this draft and, and what the Tigers are going to end up doing. They do. I mean, they love SEC players. Um, they love SEC power arms. 
Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's there's a lot of unknowns, but yeah, I mean, you're looking at Rocker, you're looking at Matt McClain, you're looking at Adrian Del Castillo, you're looking at Jaden Hill, you're looking at Jack Leader, and then Judd Fabian's kind of the other guy right now. But a lot can change, man. I mean, we'll see how teams open up their seasons this year and where guys kind of fall, and, and we'll start to figure out more of that as we move forward. Let's talk about the manager, the new manager, A.J. Hinch. Obviously a huge winner, uh, got cut loose by Houston because of the whole scandal over there. You know, he brings kind of that winning culture to Detroit. What impact do you see him having on this rebuild and the young guys? Well, I think I think the most important thing to know is that A.J. Hinch is, yes, he's a winner. Um, but at the same time, he's a smart winner, man. I mean, I understand what happened in, in Houston. I mean, that happened. Um, you know, and that was obviously a lapse of judgment on his part and he paid his price, right. He did his time, took the suspension and you kind of got to move forward from that kind of stuff at some point. And, um, you know, I think the Tigers have done a really good job of embracing that, you know, AJ came out and said it right away. It's, it's my story, not the tiger story. Um, so I think a lot of people respected that. Um, and he owned that situation and, and just took it for what it was and in what it is. But, yeah, I mean, this guy has been one. I mean, he played in the majors. He's been a manager. He's been in the front offices. He's been in player development. He's has experience in scouting. So in terms of pushing the rebuild forward, you like what you see from him, right? One, he wins. He's a winner. That's first and foremost. But the other thing, too, is, I mean, he understands all facets of the game. He gets what goes on inside of a front office. And I think the biggest thing that the A.J. Hinch signing um, and bringing him in to, to be the manager I mean, that signals that the rebuild is going to is they're going to they're going to they're going to spend their money soon. Right. Like you don't bring in A.J. Hintz just to lose for three seasons. Right. I mean, you're going to put this thing into overdrive soon. Um, so I think that's the, the biggest piece that, you know, you want to see out of all this. And I think that's the, the biggest takeaway, I guess, is that it means they're going to start spending. Garden hire was always going to be that gap from uh, Ron Garden hire was going to be that gap from um, beginning of the rebuild to, OK, we're ready to kind of put this thing into overdrive and start start moving. But. Yeah, I like Hinch for the development aspect. I mean, he relates with his players really well. I think he built a really good coaching staff with George Lombard as his bench coach and Scott Kulbaugh as his hitting coach and obviously a young pitching coach and Chris Fetter who's, you know, loves the analytics, you know, and, and Hinch likes the analytics too. And so to give guys a taste of what that side of baseball is like, especially coming after you had Ron Gardenhire as your manager and Rick Anderson as your pitching coach, now you're going to get a little bit more new school um, and I think they're, you know, guys are going to like that. I think they're going to adapt well to that. And I think they're going to, you know, take a liking to it just to kind of get a different perspective on things. So, um, yeah, I think it's a home run hire. I, I really do think they knocked it out of the park. There's a lot of things in my opinion with this rebuild that have not gone maybe right or as expected. And obviously, you know, who knows, maybe in three years, we look back and say, oh, they did a really good job. But, you know, in terms of what we're seeing right now, um, kind of keeping that tunnel vision into, okay, this is what we have at this moment. You know, there's some questionable decisions, um, you know, most notably when you're looking at some of the trades that they made, you know, looking at the Verlander return, right? Like, what was that all about? You're looking at the Shane Green trade, you know, if Joey Wentz doesn't turn out. Well, Travis Demerit's already been, you know, picked up by a different team on waivers. And if you don't get Joey Wentz back and, and if he does, if he doesn't, if he's not anything, you basically just lost Shane Green for, um, you know, nothing. Right. So, there's, there's some questionable decisions and we'll see how those play out. But I, like I said, like the Tigers had an opportunity to make a mistake when they, you know, when Ron Gardenhire retired and they didn't make a mistake, right? Like they had a chance to screw it up. They didn't, they hired the best guy. They got a winner. They got someone that knows how to develop. They got a new school guy that, that also blends the old school and know, and wants to learn how to make, you know, he wants to learn how, like what makes each guy tick and 
how to get inside their head. So yeah, like I, like I said, home run higher. I think they did a great job on this one. Um, they didn't miss. Okay. So we're getting down nitty gritty here. Obviously, look, this division is going to be tough, but it seems kind of top heavy to me. Obviously the White Sox after their season last year, just kept They had some really big pieces of agency. The twins, I think would be solid. Cleveland, we'll see. And Kansas City, I think it's kind of the same tier as Detroit. Where do you feel the ceiling is for this team within the American League Central? You asked where the team's going to end in the American League Central? What do you think it's going to be? Where, where's, the, where's, the highest, where's the highest you see this team going if everything goes right? How do, where's the ceiling at for them? If everything goes right in the American League Central, I mean, yeah, you, you, you could – Okay, you could make the case for, for a fourth or a third place finish, I think. I mean, when you're looking at how – I mean, obviously the White Sox are going to be at the top, and um, you know, but and, you know, there's no catching them no matter yeah, – everything can go right, and you're not going to catch them. But let's just say that Mize and Scooble um, end up being legit, right? Like, let's say that those guys have, like, you know, three ERA, 3.5, right? I say that's about as good as it's going to get for those guys. I don't see any of those guys going, like, sub three with their ERAs this year, like not in year two. Is it possible? Sure. But at the same time, like, would I be willing to bet on that? No way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's possible um, to finish three or four. I think it's a long shot. I, I really think that a lot, of, a lot has to go right. Look, like, remember, this is a team that you have Willie Castro, who hits a living crap out of the ball last year. And is he going to be able to even get close to, to, to what he was able to do last year, right? Candelario, same way, right? Like, he was the Tiger of the year. He was the guy. But is he going to be the Candelario that we saw last year? Or is he going to regress back to, you know, the 2019 version that saw him up and down between AAA and, and, and the majors and had the whole, you know, Dowell Lugo or Jamer Candelario at third base debate, right? Like, he brought it in on himself because he struggled. So does he, is, is, was this a 40-game hot streak for him last year? when he, when he played really well, or is this something sustainable? So there's a lot of, and those are the biggest unknowns. I think are, is Willie Castro, Jamer Candelario. Those are the two big ones. Um, in, in my opinion, I, I think what, what is a healthy Jacoby Jones in 162 games? Can he even stay healthy? Right? Like, is he going to be able to, to, to do what he was able to do at the beginning of last year? He was, you know, he looked pretty good to start. Um, and then in the rotation, I think I, I like what you have in Turnbull, but is Boyd bounce? Is Boyd done? Is this the end for him, or, or is there something left in the tank that maybe Chris Fetter and AJ Hinch can discover? Um, so yeah, like a lot has to go right. Like Michael Fulmer, is he even going to be anywhere close to what he was when he won the American Rookie of the Year? I don't think so, but who knows, right? And so I think yeah, like if, if everything goes right and you have, um, you know, the, the pieces that you picked up all you know play pretty well. If Scopes, you know, solid. Wilson Ramos behind the plate is solid, and he's hitting the ball well. Um, and if you have Mize and Scooble, um, you know, kind of at anywhere below a three-five ERA, and Matt Manning comes up and he's dominant, um, I could see it potentially shaking out where it's you know, I, I, I don't know. I could see White Sox, Twins. Tigers, Indians, Royals, maybe, um, maybe, maybe you throw the Royals ahead of the Indians there. I mean, I think for me right now, I see it as White Sox, Twins, Royals, Indians, Tigers. Could the Tigers jump ahead of where the Royals and the Indians are at? If everything goes right, maybe. Could they definitely jump in front of the, the Indians or the Royals and just jump one of them? Yeah, it's possible, but still, I, 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 they're not in a rush to call people up. They're not in a rush to, 
make a ton happen this year. They don't want to get, I mean, they're, they're not eager to get in the playoffs this year. They want another top draft pick. So um, a lot would have to go right, man. A lot would have to go right. If that answers the question. It does. It really does. Kind of the last thing for me, Evan, um, who's the Tiger who you think, you know, you mentioned Candelario and, and the uncertainty around surrounding him and Willie Castro. Who's the Tiger you think could take a huge leap this year? Um, guys that kind of come to mind to me, Victor Reyes uh, is one of them, then even Jake Rogers, if he gets a chance. To you, who's who's a Tiger who could take a, take a big leap in performance this year? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I have two. I guess this one's kind of going to be my wild card is Jake Rogers. You just mentioned him. Um, I think there's a ton of potential there for him to take a big leap. Um, he can't hit worth a lick, right? And so that that's the problem, right? Uh, you know, he had a .125 batting average in 35 games in 2019. Didn't even see the majors last year, which um, at the end of the year, they ended up um, making some moves and Eric Haas came up and, and they just did, they didn't give him an opportunity because they didn't want him to have, you know, eight games and then have those eight games kind of define him because a guy can go out and hit 408 games or he can go out there and not get a hit. And that just kind of screws with your mental. Um, so for him, I think, yeah, there's an opportunity to take a big step. Um, I, I like him in a backup role to Wilson Ramos. I think, you know, Ramos is obviously going to carry a bulk of that offense first type of a catcher it gives Jake Rogers a chance to, you know, just hone in as a defense first catcher, as we already know he is, but take some more time to work on his bat, see some pitches, not get overwhelmed by having to have an everyday job and we'll see how it shakes out at the end. But I do think there's pop in his bat for, for power pop. I mean, he's never going to be a guy that hits 300. Like we're not going to see Jake Rogers hit 300 at any point in his career. We're probably never going to see him hit 275, but if he can hit two anywhere between like 245 to 255 with a, you know, solid number of homers, um, you know, driving some runs and stuff like that. I mean, put him sixth, seventh in the lineup. I mean, if you can put him in there at seventh, and he's hitting 245 with power. I mean, I think that's good enough to be able to go into next year and say, okay, we're, we're a little bit more confident in what we have going in at, at the catcher position. Uh, so that's kind of my wild card because we haven't seen any, any, we haven't seen enough from him to be confident. But the one that I do really like is I love Gregory Soto, hard throwing lefty coming out of the bullpen. I think there's obviously going to be closer questions when there's a new manager. You're never going to set a defined closer. You know, Joe Jimenez was, you know, struggled through last year, got pulled from the closers role, and they moved Brian Garcia into that spot towards the end of the year. Garcia's a guy, he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. He relies on his defense a lot. A lot of balls are being put in play. Um, but Soto is like your premier power arm closer, like the guy that you would say is the closer of the future. Um, maybe Brian Garcia starts the year as the closer, but I think Greg Soto finishes the year as the closer. Um, just because, and I think in that way, I think, you know, Garcia probably slots into that seventh or eighth role, depending on how Buck Farmer ends up, you know, falling into place. But yeah, Greg Soto, I mean, he's a young guy, power arm. He'll touch, you know, triple digits on his fastball. Um, and listen, man, when that power slider is working, when he can get that movement, um, he's consistent with it and he can throw it with, with commanding consistency. Um, I mean, he, he's, he's almost unhittable. So yeah, 26 year old guy, I love him. Think that, think that he's, he, he's the future of the bullpen and, um, you know, could, could be a great closer for years to come. My final question for you. Uh, what's your world series pick? My world series pick world series. Pick. Uh, I mean, I, I guess just because of all the moves that they made, I guess I'll go with the Padres. Um, probably just because, I mean, look, they, they, they loaded their lineup. I mean, they're stacked. Like, 
I, I don't I don't really want to bet against them. I mean, yeah, sure, like you you like the Dodgers, but at the same time, you know, to go back to back, like I I, I don't know. I'm not a big believer. That's why see. And that's why I picked the Bucks to win the Super Bowl because I don't believe in teams going back to back like that. Like it just doesn't happen as often. And I mean, sure, you see it from time to time and stuff like that with great teams, but I don't know. I don't like the back to back idea. Let's just screw it, Padres. I mean, I haven't really looked too deep into that, but um, just because the moves that they made, um, I guess I'll kind of tip my cap to that because you know they got aggressive and, and made some things happen. Why? Who do you guys? Who do you guys got? I mean, you're asking me. So you guys have like an early prediction or something like that? I'm kind of sick of my gun saying Dodgers Yankees. I'm sorry. It's just that, that, that LA road. I get it with some of their arms. If they're off, they may be in deep water. But I have a hard time putting against rotation of Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, David Price, and now Trevor Bauer. That's just – but that line they have, it's just – to me, that's just – I get it. I get the Padres to blow it up too, but you also love to love that new place and waited so long just to get a World Series appearance nonetheless. And now they got a chance to try and – Get again, it's just for me, as of right now, we're still talking in February. That's just too much for me to like not bet with. Yeah, I like the Dodgers too. I, I think that we kind of talked about it earlier, but I think the White Sox, Mitch and I talked about it, I think the White Sox might have a chance to push the Yankees a little bit. Uh, but I'll go Dodgers, Yankees, and then I'll go Dodgers winning it as well. Dude, the the White Sox though, like I mean the White Sox are are, are like they're they're a sleeper. Like like they are a sleeper. Like they, you know, that is a team that you go one through nine in that lineup and any of any one of those guys can do damage. Like that, that that's the one thing that stood out to me a lot last year, watching them play, obviously led by Tim Anderson, but you know, Jose Abreu and just, just the guys that they have. Um, I'm not as sure about their rotation, but at the same time, like they're bats. I mean, they're, they're going to, they're going to score runs. Um, now the one thing I think that, that, that would have really put them over the edge and made them a world series team um, is AJ Hinch, but they went and got Tony Larusa, and I guess we'll see how that that situation plays out there. Um, obviously, if they knew about some of the things from Larusa's past that didn't come up until later, I don't think he's the manager. I think Hinch is the manager there, um, and that's kind of why I think. I mean, the Tigers got a steal. Like, I, I, I mean, it's still it, it's still mind blowing to me that the White Sox got Larusa. Like everybody thought. I mean, because obviously, if you're listen, like if you're a manager and you're looking at okay, where's you know, our, the best spot to be. I mean, you know, um, you know, you knew Alex Cora was going back to Boston, but when it came down to Hinch, like White Sox, like that's the place to be. Right. And so I was, I was, I was shocked to see them go Larusa. I think that's kind of what hurts them when you're looking at it in the big picture. I mean, the rotation, like I like Giolito. I like Keitel. Um, Lance Lynn is interesting. I think Dylan Cease has some room to grow. Um, but yeah, like just that, Yasmani Grindal, Jose Abreu, I mean, Nick Madrigal, they got him in there, and uh, Moncada and Tim Anderson, and, I mean, Jimenez, Eloy Jimenez, I think, is is solid, and, and Luis Robert, like, that guy's only going to get better with time. Um, so, yeah, tons of power bats. I like it, but, um, you know, we'll see how it all plays out for the White Sox. But, yeah, I'll go, I'll, like I said, I'll go Padres just to tip my cap because they made a lot of moves, they got aggressive, um, and they, they know what they want, and that's to win, so – I'll, I'll tip the cap there. But I like the Dodgers, too, obviously, just because of what they have there in their rotation. Okay, first things first. Chris, oh, okay, first Okay, first of all, Chris, Christian said almost the exact same damn thing about A.J. Hench not going to the White Sox. But also, just one last little note, how insane would this White Sox team be if they never dealt for James Shield? Because for Daryl Jr. was a big part of that trade. Like, I just think about it like, 
Isn't that just kind of insane that the White Sox do have that much talent? Yeah, we're still talking about them being a contender in the American League. Yeah, no, I mean, they listen, like, that's the one thing the White Sox have always – I mean, the White Sox have done a really good job, especially in, like, the international – in the international market, going after guys and getting guys that stick. Like, you know, they, they, they're impressive, man. The way, that they, the way that they did their process and the way that they built up what they have is, um, is solid, man. So they got a good foundation there, a lot of young players. Um, but, yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. We will see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, courtesy of the Detroit Free Press. As Evan Peltz will join us. Evan, thank you so much for your time. I really hope you can enjoy the warm weather that a lot of us in this nation can't. Thank you again for much of your time. I really can't thank you enough on that. Hey, you guys take care, all right? Thank you for having me. <laughs>Big shout, big thank you to Mr. Evan Petzl of the Detroit Free Press. It's always good to talk to Evan, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's kind of a card thing that a kid that I, uh, I well, when I first came to see him live, I I always called him a freshman, and he always shot me the dirtiest looks when I did that to him. And it was just the funniest thing. But now, see what he's got there. Obviously, I'm proud of the guy. Yo, absolutely, yeah, and I was the other end of it, where he was the older guy and I was the younger guy. I personally don't mind. I didn't mind it when I was being... Hazed isn't the right word, but chastised for being a freshman. I mean, you call it like you see it. That's what it is, man. I was a freshman at one point. I was a youngin. Still am. Oh, absolutely. Especially especially after after we talked about where we were the last time the Twins won a playoff series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's time for my favorite part of the show. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Positive. Mm-hmm. Final answer. Yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we know what time it's for. It's time for Cam Christian. Last week, I kept kind of easy on you, and you yeah. went three for three, perfect round. I got the extra one, too, didn't I? You did. Yeah. So now, I believe your record looks good right now, but I feel this week, see how it goes. Are you ready? Yeah, I saw the topic, and um, I'm interested to see what way you go with it, because on service level, this should be pretty easy. So, the one topic you went absolutely kaplooey on was the last team that won a championship in Detroit. That was 07-08. Yeah. So now I'm going to quiz you on the last team to make a championship round. The 2012 Detroit Tigers, which made the World Series. Mm-hmm. Christian, are you ready? Oh, yeah. Question one. Who was the only player to play in all 162 games for the 2012 Detroit Tigers? All 162. Every single game he was in the lineup. So it's a position player, obviously, because mm-hmm. a pitcher goes every game. I want to meet that man. Yeah, no kidding. And I want to pay for his arm surgery. I was going to say, just get with Trevor Bauer in three years. Um... I've got two in my head. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Austin Jackson. As incorrect. The answer was Prince Fielder. Okay. Okay. Prince so Fielder played all his. It, it games. crossed my mind, but I, my second guess would have been Cabrera. So we're talking Cabrera and Fielder. Second question: Miguel Cabrera led the team in home runs at 44. Yes. Prince Fielder was second with 30. Who finished third and with how many? <sighs> Victor Martinez, how many, gosh, 27? Incorrect of both fronts. Victor Martinez sat the year with a knee injury. Oh, I'm thinking of the wrong team. Oh, no. The correct no, no. answer was Delman Young with 18. Delman Young. 
pain. He, he does not look happy right now, folks. No, you can't see it, but he has his head buried and his hands on his head. Like I, I blanked, man. I was thinking of the wrong year. <laughs> it's all right. What was the year that he finished runner-up for the MVP? Or Thirteen. It? Yes, it was the year 13 after. Thirteen or okay. the year after. Mm. Guess what had all three of them? Pain. <laughs> Uh, this, see, this, just, this team has spring paint. So the question, number three. Probably let's go to the pitchers. The Tigers had six different starting pitchers that season. Yep. Name all six. Okay, Verlander. Correct. Porcello. Correct. Uh, Scherzer. That's three. Yeah, okay. Um, This is going to be bad if I don't get this. Uh, Fister. Correct. I was going to save him for last, but. Um, he's at four of the six, folks. He's at yeah. six points on the way through. Hmm. Going through, I'm trying to remember the World Series rotation. Because David Price wasn't there. Correct. He was the whole year, uh, two years away. Yep. So I went Verlander, Fister, Scherzer. Um. Are you saying like there there were six only six people that started or like they didn't sprinkle in like guys called up or? I, I, I'm talking the six main starters because obviously they traded for one at the deadline if you remember correctly. So Sanchez. Five. That's five. But who's the sixth guy? Drew Smiley. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I did that before. Yeah, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. You said, "Oh, you're one for three. Yeah. Ready for the bonus question. That's embarrassing. Yeah. Ready for the bonus. So that was the year Miguel Cabrera won his Triple, triple Crown. Triple Crown, yep. Right? Who, that was the first one time someone hit, hit a Triple Crown in 45 years. Who was the last person to do it and with what team? Uh, Ted Williams? Incorrect. I'll give you one more shot because it's kind of a tough one. You're, you're, you're on board with the team, though. Boston. Is he What's the first name? Carl. Catch your final answer. He's got a grandson who plays. Not part of the question, but catch your final answer. Well, that's the name I'm trying to think. Because the grandson's name is Mike Yastrzemski. You can tell me that, right? Yeah. So it is. It's Carl Yastrzemski, yes. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. I, now, I'll, get, I'll give you two extra bonus points if you can give me his stat lines with the batting average home runs. Oh, and okay, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me who finished second in home runs behind Cabrera, because I had to give you that. Curtis Granderson. I actually didn't look that one up, so I can't well, confirm that or deny that. I think that might have been the year before. But that was can Christian Hang. And it was bad. Hey, you know, he went one for three, you got the bonus question. But you were kicking yourself bad with the third <sighs> home runs, though. I felt bad. Once he said Victor Martinez, I'm like, oh, buddy. I was just thinking of the wrong year. You're going to crack. All right, so let's can Christian Hang. Let's get to the next segment. Let's go quick thoughts. Christian. Mm-hmm. What do you have this week? All right, so I came across a couple of articles from the Detroit Free Press. This is number one for you. Uh, Matthew Stafford and his little exit interview with Mitch Album. I don't know if you had a chance to look into the to what he had to say exactly, but basically Matt Stafford talked about laying it all on the line for Detroit. He had some interesting things to say about um, why he chose to play through the injuries that he played through. And in general, he just had a really good thing Really good things to say about Detroit. Obviously donated, I think it was a million dollars for an education center. I guess for me, what is what does this tell you about Matt Stafford, and um, what is going to be? What do you think? Ten years down the line, people are going to say about him in Detroit. Well, I think it speaks to his legacy. I think you look at the Detroit Lions since Bobby Lane, their quarterback's been such 
a whirlwind to say that they've had a stable quarterback for those 11 or 12 seasons. It would have been the 09 season. So, yeah, it would have been 11 or 12, 11 something or 12. there. For what he has accomplished and kind of the fact, you know, they both, that both him and the team have mutually parted ways. I think it was just a great step. I think it cements his legacy in Detroit as someone who really cared about the city and everything he could to get to this team where they wanted, where they wanted to be. Obviously, the results didn't match that. Uh, I think that was off his control. But I think it really speaks wonders the fact that Stafford, I feel, really gave everything he had to the city. And eventually he knew, like, I just have to move on because it's another reset. You want to go somewhere where he can really get a chance to win. Uh, it's just one of those scenarios. And I think this speaks wonders to his legacy in Detroit. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I think that he, him being the way that he is and – reading the things he said about wanting to be fully invested in Detroit while he was here is, is just awesome. And I think that that's, I hope that that's something that we can all appreciate. And hopefully he goes and wins the Super Bowl in LA. Uh, second question for you, the Red Wings. I know I, I, not really a specific topic per se, but they got to win in Nashville. I'm, you know, I love hearing your, your weekly thoughts on the Detroit Red Wings. So what do you got for me this week? Well, they got some guys back from COVID and injuries. Obviously, Bernie's back. Robbie Fabry's back. Adam Ernest's back. Um, look, I think we all knew going into the season this was going to be a long season. I think we knew they're good, with these two-game series and stuff, they're going to be competitive for the first game and second game. We'll see what happens. Um, honestly, I feel the, the Wings and Nashville series, they feel like they should have won both games. I think Nashville is a team that's really and honestly a team that I probably put too high in my preseason rankings, uh, especially the way Rene has played. Uh, but in other wings, it's just, you know, it's good signs. But, again, it's just a long-term approach to this whole Iser plan. However, there there are some good bright spots to this Nashville series. Now, whether they can keep it going, um, we'll see that's yet to be seen. But, obviously, it's just a good two-game mm-hmm. series. And I think this is the way you got to look at the season, like, how you do your next two games, how you do against the teams you schedule to play against. Because obviously we can't care about some other scenarios. Like We have to worry about two games at a time. There's two games at a time, how they do this series. That's probably the best way to look at it. And obviously right now in January, February, ugh, but when they get going in April and May, see how they look. It's a growth thing. It's something that Keno Davis has mentioned with the CMU basketball team. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But I will say um, that is um, something exciting. It's just probably the best way to look at it, really. Because a lot of their talent, young talent, it's not there yet. We'll see probably end of the year. We might see Mort Sider. We might see Joel Villano. I doubt we'll see Lucas Raymond. But we might have to see some other guys that would come up and play. And my last one for you, and I feel like I might get a hot take here, but Deshaun Watson was the kind of first quarterback of this offseason that made his displeasure public. And since then, it has been a whirlwind. And the Lions have already traded their quarterback. So with the quarterback market heating up, and Deshaun Watson's general manager openly saying he does not want to trade Deshaun Watson, do you think Deshaun Watson gets traded before the start of the season next year? Well, first of all, I'm going to say, um, <clears throat> no shit, Houston's GM says he's not going to trade to Sean Watson. Well, yeah, obviously. No shit. I will say this, though. I think Houston's, I think secretly Houston's playing hardball because I look at this as kind of similar to what, like, Matt Duchesne going from Colorado to Ottawa was, what Joe Sackick did. Joe Sackick didn't even whisper the idea until he got the package he wanted. Mm-hmm. Houston knows his value. And I think the Stafford deal with the body of work he did, 
getting those two firsts and a third and a player back in return mm-hmm. is a former number one overall pick. I think they are saying the price is going to be higher, but for me personally, I think it's supposed to stay the same. You look at the teams that the cap space that want to move quarterback, get a new quarterback. These are the teams that can't sacrifice the draft picks right now. Like the Jets have been linked to them. The Jets have so much need to fix. If you give up three first rounders, I get to give up three the CL pick this year and a first on the road. You need those picks to yes. patch up their seven eighteen hole. Great, you have Deshaun Watson. But what else do you have next couple that's, years? That's, good that's gonna. That's the issue teams are having. Jacksonville could be the same way. Maybe go to Sean Watson. San Francisco's the same way. It's a trade-off thing that's weird because, like, the last player that was traded for three first-round picks was Herschel Walker. Mm-hmm. Minnesota also got a span of, like, five players. But the way Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson did it was if those five players get cut, they get draft pick compensation. And Dallas took those picks, moved around, and they built the nucleus for a team that won three titles in four years. Yes. I think the rest of the league learned from that, saying we can't make a deal like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, Herschel Walker was a really good player, but once he went to Minnesota, it wasn't the same, and Dallas won that, and the franchises haven't been the same level since. Especially now you look at a te- teams are the cap's going down. Teams need quarterbacks, too, like Washington. Um, San Francisco, probably the only place that, honestly, the only quarterback I feel San Francisco were at. Uh, it's just such, such a hard scenario, too, right now with the salary cap to take on a player like Sean Watson and his contract. Yeah. I also don't think Houston wants to swallow the dead money, either. They're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. Because a fun fact, between Jared Goff and Matt Stafford, who's the biggest cap hit for the Rams this year? Jared, Jared Goff. Goff. So I think there's a multitude of reasons why Houston's GM is flat out saying he doesn't want to trade him. And I think there's a multitude of reasons that because of that, you're not seeing teams give the price tag that Watson is worth. Because mm-hmm. if he goes to a team that's very solid, very stable, like if you were to go to the Rams or the 49ers, we would talk to him being a top three MVP pick, I feel. Yeah. But, at the, but however, you know, Houston's without first and second round pick. They need to draft capital badly. I just don't think anyone's going to bite at the offer. And it's not a knock on his talent. It's just the way the league is right now, right. which I don't think people totally understand. Like, it's the reason why Atlanta's committed to Matt Ryan and Julio Jones long term. If you move Matt Ryan right now, you're eating so much dead cap money. It's like $90 million in dead cap. Mm-hmm. So you're, playing, you're paying a player more to just play a different team than you are to bring another quarterback. Like, no, that's a good point. Like, like, but the cap situation is right now, no team can afford to do that. Like, do you really think the Saints can afford to do that? Oh, absolutely not. Pittsburgh can't afford to do that because right now they're $20 million. That's before Ben's restructured. I mean, that's just the issue people don't realize. The cap is going down for the first time in a decade. Yes, I get it. News is not always better. Like, if you look at the quarterbacks from when Stafford was drafted to about the time Wentz and Goff were drafted, there's only one quarterback in the first round that's still on the same team they were drafted with, and that's Carson Wentz, and it looks like he's getting out. Just because you take a quarterback first round doesn't mean it's going to exactly. work out amazing like gangbusters. Like, let's look at the best quarterbacks in the league. Russell Wilson, third-round pick. Yep. Tom Brady, sixth-round pick. Aaron Rodgers, late first. Mahomes, okay, first-round pick. You can make the argument. Yeah. I No, I, I get what you're saying. Dak though. Prescott, fourth-round pick. Jimmy G, third-round pick. You look at these guys that have found success with their teams to get them to at least 10 win seasons. Mm-hmm. It's not guaranteed that a first-round pick like Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence, even though we think it's slam dunk as he is, there's no guarantee they're going to be the guys long-term. There's no guarantees. You just need to get the right guy 
that fits the right mold and the right system at the right time with the right pieces around them in the way the right time your division lines up to. Yep. I feel you, man. There's such a big there's such a big weird chain of events that has to happen with quarterbacks that people don't realize. And it's really starting to piss me off a little bit. It really is, folks. I'm sorry, but it's it's just driving me nuts the inside a little bit. So yeah, that's a good one, actually. Good topic. Thank you. So, question of the week. Um, talk all sports here. What rule needs to be changed? This is interesting. Because um, there's a boatload of ways I could go with this. All you think, can I say mine first? Yeah. Change the NFL overtime rules for the season, please. Give us like a college feel or just yes. a continuous overtime for crying yes, out loud. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm so ties. sick of ties. It is the dumbest thing ever. That is the only sport besides soccer that actually keeps ties, and it pisses me off so bad. Like, why? You have two teams fighting it for 60 minutes. That's not enough. So they go 70 minutes, and it ends in a tie? It's a tie? Because here's the thing, too. Here's one thing I want to think about Barker Home for Lions fans. Let's say week one, 2019, Cardinals beat the Lions in overtime. Do you know what happens in the draft? Lions pick second because they got the tiebreaker because Washington beat Detroit and the Lions get Chase Young instead of Jeff Okuda. That's what happens. Could you picture that Lions defense now? You don't have Okuda. Maybe at this point you still have Slay and you have Chase Young go opposite Trey Flowers. We're talking about a totally different landscape of the Lions. Patricia's still probably gone. Oh, absolutely. Dan Campbell's probably there. Think about that. You have Chase Young with that coaching staff now, the way they're building it. Think about that for a second. If you get rid of the rule and somehow Arizona, Callum Murray's his first win, like double overtime, thriller in Arizona. Oh, Think awesome. about that. This is why that rule needs to change now. It needs to change. I like that. Pick. Go on continuous OT. I mean, I get it. Okay, maybe go like one series, and if no one scores, the next points win. I'm cool with that. Each team has a chance for possession, even though there's a touchdown, trying to tie to keep it going. Or you what? even bring a college rule. No game clock. Yeah, I like that. But you start at like the 50. Instead of the 25. Because mm-hmm. obviously if you get to the 40 with most kickers, like Justin Tucker, Harrison, Buckner, yeah. and Dome, 57-yarder, they can manage that. But that's that's the one rule I feel needs to change so badly. So badly. Yeah. Christian, now, I need a breather. You talk. Now, my stipulation is I saw that this was approved. Um, I don't know why this rule was even out in the first place, but... It's the baseball extra inning start to runner on second rule. I hate it. I do not like that rule. Um, I thought that, that, that it would just be a thing from this year, but apparently they're going to approve it, and it's going to become a, a thing for this year and then probably years down the road too. I do not like that. For me, it takes everything out of extra innings. You know, Part of the fun of extra innings is starting a rally. It's that first base hit. Or you get the other team going, oh, no, here we go. You get the first guy on, and then you bunt him up. It takes almost all the strategy out of it because now all you've got to do is, okay, granted, you start with one out, so maybe bunting him over isn't as simple as it is. But it's like the defense, it's like the pitcher starting with his back against the wall. And to me, that I just don't like that. I do not like it. Um, I would rather just play the game traditionally. And if you don't like it and you think the game's too long, don't watch. Big deal. All right, anything, any last things you want to get off your chest? Mm-mm. All right, so we're good to wrap this up. All right, so 
A lot of folks listening, thank you for joining us in this very special episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. We hope to have more guests down the road. Um, who those guests are, we don't know. No. It all depends about our connections and who actually wants to come on and talk sports during the pandemic. So, mm-hmm. until next time, for Christian Boer, I'm Mitch Fosberg. You're sticking me eyes.